This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of What Most People Think. It's me, it's just me this week. Is that alright? Is that alright with you? I thought we needed a, a catch-up after the, the grand scale nature of episode 50 with David Badil. Thank you so much for all the feedback from that. I'm glad that people enjoyed it. I was lucky to get him uh, as a guest. Are you, are you kissing David Badil's ass again, Jeff? Yeah, I, I think I still am. He's my mate. I kept calling him my mate and, you know, if you keep saying something, it might be true. Nine inches, nine inches. Um, anyway, welcome to the show, What Most People Think. I'm back off holiday, and um, I've suddenly gone fucking really loud here. I've just gone very close to the microphone, because I'm in my new office, and I, I haven't built, not, basically I've built some shelves and moved rooms, um, but it's a bit echoey. I don't know what to do about that for now. It's all costing money, as do holidays, but I've just come back off a holiday. I went to Bournemouth, mate, went to Bournemouth, and I was very refreshed, actually. It was only like a three and a half day trip down there, but, you know, I paid... Well, I paid. Well, I was supposed to be going to Ibiza, and then I paid way over the odds for a hotel with an outdoor pool, and um, it rained. Got yeah, laugh it, laugh it up. It's funny, isn't it, when other people go on holiday immediately after a heat wave, and then it rains. The, whole, the it didn't rain the whole time. Do you know what? There's something to be said, man. There's something to be said for when the weather is predicted to be like. 100% shit and then it's only like 70% shit and we had a couple of days where or a couple of periods where the sun came out and my god it's such a sight in it just seeing British people just sprinting downstairs with inflatables under each arm come on kids get by the pool just to just be in sunlight for like approximately 12 minutes but we did and we, we, we treasured those things it felt more like it felt more like holidays of my childhood really was just being excessively grateful for, for minor good things but this is a show, if this is the first time you're listening, it's called What Most People Think. And, you know, just try and uh, come at life, politics and social discourse from the revolutionary angle of commonly held viewpoints that you don't normally hear in comedy. Uh, here's one, is that maybe the moment that you don't actually make kids sit exams, there's going to be problems no matter what you do. <laughs> Even if you go with the algorithm, not with the algorithm, teachers' predictions, there's going to be problems. So maybe we shouldn't have... Just lock down the schools. Just saying, just saying. Hashtag Captain Hindsight. I'm being like fucking Keir Starmer now, aren't I? Keir Starmer. Um, sorry, I'm, I just have to keep that going because I need to know that people have listened to the podcast for a while, that every time you hear his voice, you're hearing uh, that sound. And I think also what I just did may well have been cultural appropriation there, doing a sort of West Indian dance hall, sort of soca type voice, I think they're called. Um, but yeah. Patreons. I have a Patreon for this podcast. If you're really into it and you want to keep it weekly and ad-free, and also, can I tell you something, right? So last week I got David Badil. Well, I actually had another person lined up as a celebrity guest <clears throat> as well. So I was going to record two in a week. That fell through. And then David Badil was free and then my laptop shat itself, fundamentally shat itself. And so I had to go to, I basically bought a new laptop. So what I'm saying is, if you're wondering what the Patreon is for, it's now keeping it weekly, ad-free and stopping the bailiffs coming because I suddenly had to buy a new MacBook Pro 
and it's a piece of shit. It's a piece of shit. The 2020 MacBook Pro, if you're listening, Apple, how have you made it so much worse? Like, you've taken away USB ports, because, yeah, who still uses those, right? Oh, we've come up with our own little thing, which needs, like, a fucking 15-quid adapter. We've made the camera more shit. We've made the fan louder. And now, and just then, GarageBand just interrupted me and asked me if I wanted a certain setting on. I'll, you know what, GarageBand? I'll let you know, piece of shit. Anyway, so I'm, I'm really frustrated about that. But more grateful than ever for my new £10 patrons, Ashley Barrett. It's kind of gender non-specific, Ashley. Does he have a dick? Does he have tits? Does it matter, guys? Does it matter? And Maria, who upgraded. Maybe there was something in the David Badil podcast. She went, you know what? £5 just didn't feel like enough. So she upgraded to £10. And well, I've got to do some sort of joke around her voice. Her name, I'm sorry. Maria. I just got 10 quid off Maria. Um, yeah. Look, I know that you've probably heard that joke a lot in your life, Maria, but maybe not in exactly that context. Uh, if you're interested in the cuss count, so we do a weekly roundup of the swear tally from the previous week. It's interesting. So my swearing was down. Uh, one, uh, four asses, two bullshits, one clusterfuck. That was a word rather than me just being bad at my job. Five fucks, only 11 fuckings. That is, that's dramatically down. One piss, four shits, one twat, and one wang stain. Is that the first appearance for wang stain? You know, like uh, on the National Lottery when they get the balls out and making its first appearance on the National Lottery draw, it's wang stain. Uh, and as a bonus for Cuss fans, uh, David Badil had one bollocks, one cunt, four fucked, one fucked, seven fucking. So, like me, he favours fucking as his uh, swear word of choice. One pissed and five shits. I think that for a guest, He's now like on the top gear leaderboard of swearsies. I think I think the lowest level was Pierre Novelli, who just who barely swore at all because he's, well, he just doesn't need to. He's got so many words, but uh, afraid afraid not me, not me. Uh, just a quick thank you and a fuck you. I think I've already done the fuck you really with uh, the MacBook Pro twenty two. What is it pro at? Can I ask you that Apple? What what is it doing better than it was before? It's just it's like it's, it's like a, if humans suddenly lost opposable thumbs. That's what you've done with your product rubbish anyway a thank you my holiday i went to paulton's theme park and this isn't a paid for advert for paulton's the theme park on the south coast that's clean organized and covid no it was it was really good how have i not heard about this place called paulton's it's a shit name do you know what i mean when it comes to theme parks what you really want is you want something that implies fun like do you remember the one in margate ben bomb brothers i mean it's kind of a bit tired but sounded fun didn't it thought park yeah alton towers Paulton sounds like a sort of hardware place, sort of place that you'd hire like a pressure cleaner before you could get them for seven quid from B&Q. Uh, but it was really good, man. Pepper Pig World. I mean, like my son really liked Pepper Pig World. I've got to say, me and my wife have got both got a bit of an issue with Pepper. I don't know how you feel about this. She's a little bit precocious. Uh, but yeah, thank you to Paulton's. That was good. That was good. I recommend it if you haven't been. Uh, and a fuck you uh, to Bournemouth Seafront. Four pounds for seafront chips. So we got it in our head that we we're going to have chips out of a cone, right? You know, you know that feeling in life that is it's not we already knew that it's not going to really match up to what we were hoping. But we thought like right, 4 pound, well, so I paid it. So it's a, you know, I'm the idiot basically. And you know what the worst thing about it was was they weren't even like chip shop chips. They were they were those kind of like oven e ones. They were, they were too crisp. I wanted it to be greasy. Do, do you know what I mean? I wanted Chips, and I know businesses haven't been able to open, and I know that they're trying trying to make up for lost time. But four pound, four pound chips, and what are you saying? What's that? What if you was there again tomorrow? Would you do the same? Yeah, in fact, I would. 
Okay, so in my animated anger there, I haven't actually teased what's coming up in the show. So we'll just start with the first subject, shall we? Uh, we're going to talk in first. We're going to talk later in the show about uh, satirical online comedy accounts getting frozen out. But first, up, we're going to talk about the exams, and uh, well, it's all calming down a little bit now. Although, although as I speak, they've said that the BTECs won't be out till next week, and they, <laughs> that's arguably the most BTEC thing that's ever happened. The BTEC, by the way, BTEC lot. <laughs> BTEC, they're probably the first ones to finish school term, aren't they? They're just the teachers like, oh, I can't be asked to do the BTEC. Ah, oh, we have, we forgot to mark it. It's BTEC. But they're going to be, they're not going to be out till next week. And the press have been doing this thing where the press are always very keen. Whatever's happening with young people, the press have always got to be super sympathetic to young people. Because obviously young people are completely innocent of anything. And they, I'm going to say, look, I don't think it's, it's bad, you know, that they've got to wait another week for the BTECs. But... We've, you know, life's been different for a lot of things because of COVID. I think waiting another week for a BTEC where your teacher is almost certainly going to have pumped up your grade for fucking exams you didn't have to sit. Yeah, an extra week, is it going to break the bank? I don't know. Am I being, am I being mean here? Look, I, the, the truth of the matter is, is is that the government's handling of it was... I mean, it was always going to be a difficult thing, right? It was always going to be a difficult thing. Once you didn't sit the exams to just pluck these exam grades out of your bum... And just say, I think. I mean, what a lot, what power that was to give teachers. I would, I mean, if there's one thing I would have got back into teaching for was just to have that power, just that little shit. Do you know what I mean? That cocky one that looks like he knows everything. Go, oh, 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 now he's now he's got the power. Oh, do I get to do I get to decide your exam grade? Oh yeah, was that you calling me Mr. Nocock for four straight years? Well, well, that's funny. Oh, that, oh, that A seems to have slipped to a D. So Look, I the U-turn though was spectacular, right? Because it, it it was I mean it was just how far off it was obvious that it was gonna happen. It was like it was like right if the Titanic had set off and then they'd spotted the 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 iceberg, right? If they'd spotted the iceberg whilst they were still in Southampton. And that bloke, you know, because I obviously I base it on the film rather than history, but they just went as they were setting set, oh tight iceberg! And they just went, yeah, no, so we'll just we'll just keep uh, sailing straight towards that. Uh, and, and and there was another ship. I mean, if you want this metaphor to be completely secure, the SNP sailed straight into that tight iceberg like a week before. They go, no, I, I think I think we can get around it. So well, it was it was embarrassing, wasn't it? And I don't know why we didn't have the exams. Why didn't we have the exams? Because they were just suddenly it was shut everything down, wasn't it? Piers Morgan, all the lockdown freaks, just just shit in the bed and wanting everything to be locked down. And one thing that was said time and time again was that locking down schools was the worst thing. You know, that had arguably the most implications for disadvantaged kids, right? It was said at the time, and we, we locked down. We locked down. And, I mean, exams are fairly socially distanced, aren't they? I mean, like when I went, my memory of exams is sitting a long way from people and not talking and entering in exactly the kind of weird COVID-related way that we have to enter everywhere now. Jesus Christ, I was going in Curry's the other day, right? Because uh, I had issues with uh, this fucking laptop, right? And um, I went there, and I just, I just, I just went to the door, and this guy like stopped me, and he was like, um, "Hi, can I help you?" I was like, "Yeah, I was gonna walk in your shop," and he was like, uh, "What, what, what are you looking for?" I was like, "Um, I just, uh, well, I was looking for a webcam." He's like, "What kind of webcam?" I was like, "Oh, Logitech, a webcam, a webcam, a webcam, a camera for the web." What the? F- why can't I just come in your shop? It was like it was fucking border patrol. 
Do you know what I mean? You know when they get a couple coming, you know the people coming back from Southeast Asia where you know they've either got like illegal shellfish in their bag or heroin. And and before anyone says that's racist, I'm doing it based on the show, right? But this this guy was treating me like that, and uh, it does come. So I'm going slightly off subject here, but it does come. I know that if you if you like the COVID restrictions, a lot of people are kind of into it. You know, they find it something reassuring. I bet they're the same sort of people who really like being tucked up in bed. You know, the kind of people like being tucked up to the point where almost imprisoned by the duvet. It's fair enough. You're that kind of person. But what is your limit? of what we can tolerate in terms of incursions into our civil liberties. Fine, the geezer at Curry's gives me the fifth degree about wanting to buy a webcam. <laughs> it's weird, right? But what about, you know, in Australia where they've had drones flying overhead to see to see if they can spot people who aren't wearing masks? I mean, we're, you know, forced vaccines. Now, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I just sort of think, like, there's something kind of Chinese and Russian about just injecting people with stuff, even though they're not fully on board with it. You know, I don't know. I don't know because maybe there's too many idiots running out and around with uh, conspiracy theories about vaccines now. And maybe you do need different authoritarian laws. But as a libertarian, I just can't. I just just the idea that you thought this is this is one of the things with lockdown when it started. This country has a fundamentally different culture. You know, broadly speaking, people are used to liberty here. If you give people fair rules, they'll broadly abide by them. I mean, the fact that the, the overall infection numbers haven't gone through the roof, and everyone's going, well, why is this? Why, well, how could this be? We've had the pubs reopening, we've had V-Day, we've had the beaches, we've had the Black Lives Matter protests, we had the statue protests, we had people out, heat waves, beaches. And the truth of the matter is, it's, it's really not difficult, is that most people in Britain follow the guidelines. <laughs> That's it. There's no, there's no kind of like mad kind of mystical science behind this. Most people are all right. But, you know, when you talk about... Certainly the liberal media, the last thing in the world is that they would think is that people en masse have been decent. Unless, of course, the people in question are kids who've taken their GCSEs, in which case they're all angels and they're being failed by this government. Are they being failed? Maybe they are. It is weird. It is weird the degree to which that this has uh, prompted negative press for the Tories, right? And it's been coming from the Daily Mail, the Telegraph, their usual allies. And I wonder if it's because, right, and this is certainly where I was frustrated with the way they handled it as well, right? I'm fairly biased, but is I wonder if it's because the hard things that they've done, there's certainly an argument, okay, the hard things are hard in a pandemic. Politicians at the moment are doing way more politics than they've ever done. You know, a, a simple week in politics at the moment is probably like three months from before. So they're under pressure. But when they do the, the easy things badly, right, and it was quite easy to see that this exam algorithm was imperfect, yeah, kids have had a tough year, it's imperfect, but given the fucking, you know what I mean, given the exam results, it does we'll always know it is the COVID year. It'd be like, you know, Liverpool winning the league, there'll always be a slight asterisk by it. But we'll go, on the other hand, these kids are have gone through something that no one else has. You know, on one hand they might have had a touch. Maybe maybe they were shit at exams and they had a really good relationship with their teacher. Maybe some of them were a bit too close. <laughs> Where are you going this shift? I've got no idea. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is is the government didn't do the easy thing, and maybe that because they can't stand being unpopular. They cannot stand being unpopular. This was the odd thing about, you know, when the Tories won the election in December, we were sold this idea that this was going to be this far-right, heartless government. You know, and apart from them digging their heels in over Dominic Cummings, which, again, I was in favour of him. I thought he should have resigned out of decency, not sacked. He should have resigned and then come back at an appropriate point. But they just don't, other than that, they don't like being unpopular. What they do is they think, oh, we're going to dig our heels in over this, and then on school meals, you know, there was a level to which Marcus Rashford got trending 
that suddenly they, they you know they reverse course and the same uh, with exams they don't want to be unpopular and you've got this situation where they're not right wing enough for the right wingers and the left wingers still think they're Nazis they might as well just do what they think is right you know but I, I don't see any chance of that at the moment and it's weird right because they've got an 80 seat majority if there is a time to be unpopular this is the time if you really think it's the right thing then just crack on. One thing that makes me laugh, right, is the amount of social people, people on social media now, that when the Tories have a couple of bad weeks, and they go, I'm sorry, okay, look, I'm sorry, but if you vote Conservative, I don't know how you could defend your vote given what's happening, right? So one, they're doing the Keir Starmer thing of applying, you know, hindsight to it. And secondly, I'm going to, yeah, you do remember what the choice was in December of 2019. It was uh, a party that was actually going to honour a Democratic vote or this old weird geezer that looked like he'd escaped from some sort of anti-Semitic allotment, right? <laughs> so don't be coming to me, like, all of a sudden, like, no, no one was predicting a pandemic, were they? When the year started, no one was sitting there going, so how are our stocks of PPE? Yeah, has anyone checked that? That wasn't like a hot-button issue in the election. And the Tories, this is the thing, when it all comes down in the wash, yes, the Tories have bungled quite a few things, but, you know, the furlough scheme, I think people, a lot of people were surprised at how generous that was. You know, maybe it should continue a bit longer. I don't know. Germany has continued it till like fucking 2030 or something. But, you know, and, and their first instinct was to protect the NHS. They did two things that I think people would have been surprised to see them do. I, you know, there's a lot of people on the right that think that they slightly overprotected the NHS. You know what I mean? Because we, we don't want the NHS getting overwhelmed, do we? That's the thing. We can't have our NHS getting overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, it's just providing the service that it's set up to. We don't, we, it, it, it seems a bit nervous. Okay, let's just all let's just all have our heart attacks at home and die and let our cancers pro progress because at the moment the NHS isn't in a good place. <laughs> the NHS, when that crisis struck, it was like a friend suffering really bad anxiety. It was like, yeah, just give them some space. You know, things aren't great. Go, no, that, that that's fine. That's fine. I'll um, I'll just uh, I'll just do you know self medicate for the cancer. Then I'm sure there's uh, there's some sort of combination of. Uh, cupboard herbs and spy I'll, I'll get some sage or something so look i think that what most people think about the exams fiasco catastrophe clusterfuck is the yeah yeah on the whole the kids probably should have been given the predicted grades in the end but that this was not a zero-sum game it was always going to be bad one way or the other but the one thing the government could do maybe is if they think is there a chance that we're going to shit the bed on this and do a u-turn Okay, if so, then do it sooner rather than later. Okay, just a quick hype here. A shout out first to five pound patrons, Anne Connolly, Adam Lewis, and James Farmer. What do they sound like? Lewis, Connolly, and Farmer. Sound like, are they more of a solicitor's sort of thing? More the conveyance inside of it? Adam Lewis, Anne Connolly, and James Farmer. Or are they like a really dynamic regional leadership team for an up-and-coming new brand? <laughs> yeah, that's who they are. You know, like, like one of those uh, food things where they supply all the ingredients and stuff and they slight charge you over the over the odds for it and they basically get rid of any... I don't know if anyone has been doing those, like HelloFresh. So yeah, they're the dynamic ones that are going around getting everybody buzzed up. And guys, we are going to have a conference, okay? Just when things get back to normal, we are going to have a conference. And uh, look, all I'm saying is Lisbon, okay? <laughs> Um, Patreon, uh, I'll be doing more on Patreon, okay? I am, because I had a few projects going on recently, writing projects, which I'll be able to tell you more about in the fullness of time, but I'm going to have a bit more time here, and there's some things I want to do on Patreon. I want to do 
like a monthly TV show. People say to me, oh, when are you going to do like a writer center comedy show, a bit, you know, sort of like the Mash Report, but for right wingers? Well, it, I'll be honest with you, it's never getting commissioned uh, on you know any terrestrial channel. So I am in the process of putting something together. And what I'm going to do is that is, I'm gonna, it's going to be about 10 minutes long and it's going to be once a month and that's going to go on Patreon. Then I'll do shorter edits for YouTube and Twitter, but the only place that you'll be able to see it is on Patreon. So do stick about for that. That should be fun. And uh, yeah, hoping to do a bonus Patreon-only edition of the podcast next month. And also you get, when you do Patreon, you get shout-outs. You can also, you get priority for letter reads as well, just to remind patrons that you can do that, considering I had no fucking letters this week. Confidently got my cup of tea. I thought I'll just go through this week's letters. I mean, there was like emails, but... They were mainly just blowing smoke up my ass. So, you know, obviously I cracked one out to those, but you don't necessarily want to hear that. Dear me just spaffing one out, <laughs> just reading praise back to myself. Although there was actually, there was a very funny review for the podcast. I wasn't going to mention it till later, but I'll mention it now. Was This was a guy on the iTunes reviews who said, uh, I love Jeff because he makes me realise why my dad says the thing he does. Jordan from Oxford. I mean, that's just brilliant, isn't it? He's basically gone... You're an old bastard like my dad. Okay, just a quick subject here. We're talking about comedy accounts getting frozen on social media. So last week, I don't know if anybody here, uh, you'll know Andrew Doyle. He was on like episode three of this podcast. And he is a very interesting political comic, uh, but he kind of fights back against the woke as well. He's left wing, very interesting guy. And he also has this satirical account called Titania McGrath, who's kind of like the archetypal wokest you know sort of spells women with an x and you know things you identifies as very various different things from day to day and that account was frozen for a while as were various other uh, online social media accounts and you think well you know it's obviously given all the things that happen in the world the suspension of an online satirical comedy account isn't necessarily the worst thing however right however there is a there is a problem with this is that that social media is increasingly becoming you know it's, everyone says it's a big bit of our lives right and they're increasingly the arbiter for whether or not things are offensive, hurtful, rude, or intentioned. And this, the reason I choose to bring up the Titania McGrath account is that I know loads of lefties who find Titania McGrath funny. I know, I know, I've just got to clarify. Yeah, I know, left-wingers with a sense of humour about the left-wing. I'll tell you something, they are out there, and I'll tell you something else, some of them listen to this podcast. And, and what, the reason that they get suspended in a while, I'd imagine, is because they get so many reports. Because I think people like... You know, people who are kind of uh, provocative online tend to get reports. And eventually, I guess there are so many about certain accounts, is they get frozen for a while. And you know what it is? It's this little literally, I mean, some of these phrases get applied too broadly. There's a proper keyboard where I just think, I'm going to keep reporting, I'm going to keep reporting. Because they can't really do shit in the real world. But what they can do is just sit there with their little device, with their fucking, you know, curtains closed, just sitting there in the gaze of their picture of fucking Shea Guevara and just try and get something that other people enjoy cancelled, right? And, and I guess the problem is, is that they, you know, there was a period maybe a few years ago where culturally the force seemed to be with them, but now there's a lot of kickback and they just don't like being the butt of the joke, right? And the problem is, is in comedy, is that comedians as a whole should be sticking up for these sort of accounts because it's about the right to take the piss, you know, but but people in comedy don't because then they get seen because free speech now has somehow become like a right wing uh, issue. You know, and they're the left are now more about being free from things. They've got this weird counter argument. I heard Layla, is it Moran or Evan Evans, the candidate to be 
the new leader of Liberal Democrats, she was saying, you know, freedom isn't just free, free and to do things. It's about being free from things. So actually, we're the party of freedom. For, is there anything that the Lib Dems are liberal about anymore? Yeah, liberal is also staying out of people's fucking business, right? Liberal is also, like, principally about live and let live. Because you can't allow the parameters of taste and offence to be set online. There was a story just today about there's a, a mug that Sainsbury's have withdrawn, right? Because it had on it an image of, from the Roald Dahl book, Matilda. And it had a quote on it that says, and this is the little girl talking about her teacher saying, I've got an idea, hit her, right? So then uh, women's abuse charities, a few women's abuse, have kind of caused this big hullabaloo online and then Sainsbury's have withdrawn it. You know, they're, they're obviously deeply regretful for any offence caused, because they're absolute pussies, these companies. You know, they'll take a little minor bit of outrage. And if you actually read the quote in the story, one of the spokespeople for the charities says, that, well, I think they should apologise and make a huge donation. I was like, well, well, I think you've given your game away there when you say, I think they should make a huge donation. Could it be that that was part of... I mean, I don't know if there's ever been an abuser, and you know, counselling with a with an abuser anywhere that started with, well, it all started when I saw this quote on a mug from a Roald Dahl book. I mean, where, 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 how do people think, this has been my, sorry, this is going slightly off tangent here, but you know, when you have like adverts, or, or, or you know, celebrities saying don't do things like don't be racist, or don't be a domestic abuser, right? All noble sentiments. But you just think, how many people who were thinking of it, <laughs> You know, or toying with the idea of being like a despicable bastard on that level will go, you know what? I was going to be ma massively racist, but I saw this advert with David Beckham in and it, he had cornrows as well. So I thought, hey, if anyone knows about race stuff, it's probably Beck's, right? I, 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 I think it's so much deeper than that. And that's why people who advocate free speech often aren't as fussed about messages that come out or, you know, on a slogan on a T-shirt or things in a film. Because actually... It's a more pragmatic view of human nature where you think, I think if someone is an arsehole, I think by the time they see something in a film, it's probably already too late. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that if you're, in a, you know, you might get ideas for how to be an arsehole, like different ways of being an absolute scumbag. But I think, you know, the, the, the fact that you're going to be a scumbag is already in the bag. And I just don't think that anybody anywhere is being influenced by by slogans on, on mugs. I mean, I see, I see, you know, keep calm and carry on. I don't keep calm, you know, and I barely carry on. But look, coming back to the issue of social media accounts getting frozen, I don't know how many comedians listen to this, but like, you really got to speak out, man, because the thing about, one thing we're learning about mm -hmm. offence is that what you, you know, you might be in the safe zone right now, right? The stuff that you talk about, but so were other comics not so long ago, you know? The thing about the, the woke is that they devour their own and, Ask not who for the bell tolls, motherfucker, because eventually it may toll for thee. Okay, well, as there are literally no letters uh, asking questions or anything this week, so I probably should do a plug for letters in future episodes, which is what most people think UK at gmail.com. And so basically anything I've spoken about, things you agree with, things that wind you up, things you want me to talk about, hyper hypothetical political... Can you hear the fucking... Can you hear the dog? Oh, hang on. Lily, shut up! So, sorry about that. It was a right old tear-up. There were some dogs around the corner, so my dog was giving it large from the window because it's open because there was these massive... Basically, it was that thing, you know, you see... 
Why do so many tiny women have massive dogs? I know maybe it's like self-defense, but the problem is, it's like, what you gotta remember about that dog is as much as it could defend you, it could also get you in trouble and it could attack you. You know, I mean, you see, you see these kind of, <laughs> these huge staffies. Everyone always defends staffies, don't they? Like, oh, staffy, yeah, lovely dog staffies. Oh, they're such, they've got such a loving nature. Yeah, equally, I've seen the news. <laughs> you know, I just, I'd rather have a dog. And then, and then like, staffy owners do that counterintuitive logic where they go, I tell you, some of the smallest dogs are actually the most aggressive. What are they going to do? Little Jack Russell. They, make, they, they feel great on a half folly, Jack Russell. Uh, I, mean, I just don't understand it. I don't understand people that have, have loads of big dogs in their house as well. Like, like aggressive potential. Because what if those dogs just like communicate in dog code? They just look around and go, look at him lying on the couch all drunk and pathetic, crying at that Pixar film. Should we just fuck him up? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They go, he's always, you know what I mean? He never walks us at the right time. He's, he's always on his phone. Should we, just, should we just fuck him up? Should we just eat his face? <laughs> should we just chow down on his mush? So yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand it with dogs. Anyway, where, where, what the fuck was I talking about? Also, the other funny thing that never gets old is a very tall man with a tiny dog. That is just hilarious. And they always have that look, those blokes, like the, this wasn't their decision. You know, they're out there walking a sausage dog and they're six foot four. You're like, um, yeah, that wasn't your shout, was it, mate? <laughs> it's, like, it's like when blokes have uh, double-barreled double names against their will. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, a, yeah, I'm married to a Debbie. Yeah, and I just thought, you know, it was just easier if I took her name as well. And you go, did you? Anyway, I've got, I'm going around the houses this week. Um, thank you if you're bearing with me. What I was going to talk about was a uh, men's mental health thing. So it is, God, it's like gear change here. But it is the five-year anniversary coming up of when my old man passed away. Did you hear the voice go there straight away? <laughs> Man, when my old man... Uh, my old man passed away, right? And I was thinking about men and grief. You know, it's one of those things, like me, me and David Badil, I was going to say me and David. I, I, I toyed with the idea, me and Dave, last week. But we spoke about it and, and, and the ways in which grief can be more complex for men. I also think when it comes to your, your dad dying, it's also, it's just less clear how you're supposed to feel. Because my mum passed away. And with, with people's mums, it's like, you know, if you had a half-decent mum, you're going to, tend emotionally more to your, you know, towards your mum anyway. Oh, me old dear, you know, she was the sort of the, uh, the spirit on her, she was life and stuff. There's a lot of things, <laughs> and obviously when I grieve, I, I do become like uh, a sort of 1920s cockney. But, but with dads, it's less clear, isn't it? Because your dad, you know, it comes from the body. And I'm sorry if this sounds old fashioned, but your mum, she cooked you up in her tummy. She fed you from like a tube that came into your body. Then she fed you from her tits. Like, this is all very intrinsically lodged in our minds, the, the connection. I mean, when women are, when, when women are pregnant, they, they exchange blood with the kids. So then they become metabolically a bit like the kid and the kid becomes them. Let's be honest, as, as good a fathers, we're being better fathers in this generation. Our role in procreation, certainly in the early bit, it's not that involved, is it? I mean, it's just, it's difficult, isn't it? When, you, when your old man passes away, especially when you're, you know, you've got a dad like mine who was, it was a good man. You know, he had his ups and his downs in his life. But it was complicated a lot of the time. You know, he wasn't like the kind of guy to take me fishing. Because <laughs> he only had one arm. Sorry, I've just, I just, I've always said my dad never took me fishing. And in this moment, it's the first time it occurred to me that he only had one arm. Like, he could do a lot with that arm. But I think, 
even I, even as a six-year-old kid, was being unreasonable, expecting him to kind of hook a fucking maggot on a tiny little hook and then cast them there, all with one arm. But, um, but yeah, Dad's roles are a lot more complex. And then the thing is, because he, he passed away before I was 40, I would say that 40, from my experience, is the bit where you start to understand where your same-sex parent, like, you know, if you're a son, then your dad, if your daughter, the mum, where they were coming from. Because all your life, you know, you sort of had your own ideas, but then you start to go, oh, yeah, that's why he was cynical about that. Or, oh, yeah, that's why he didn't trust lawyers. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why he thought women can be full of shit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's coming around and it's on my mind, isn't it? And, and, and if you're a bloke like me where you're sort of emotionally intelligent, but every once in a while you just bury stuff, it comes out in weird dreams. That's often my thing. I just wake up thinking, not like nightmares, but just like a weird... Weird dreams, you think, how weird, Jeff? Like, weird, weird, like, nonce, weird. of course not. But, so, you've got to keep tabs on it. It's not until, it's not until September the 15th, which is the anniversary, but my brain often goes forward for a lot of these things. So, one of the things I worked out, and I did a fair bit of counselling after I lost both my parents, was just, they always said to me, and my wife always says to me, and it's constructive advice, which is tell, tell stories, right? Because what happens is, after they go... You think about the sadness a lot, certainly for the first year or two. And then the sadness is you sort of remember the sadness and all the, all the anniversaries become a way of just... Because the sadness in a way feels good. It makes you feel closer to them, you know what I mean? And you kind of nurture it a bit. But then bit by bit, you, lose, you forget the fact that you had a laugh, you know what I mean? That there were good memories there. So I'm going to tell, tell you a story about my old man. Like, he was quite off the wall. But anyway, he liked to travel, he liked infrastructure, he liked trains, he liked he just he liked things being slick and he liked to see progress in travel. So he he once took the Eurostar. Um he uh, I rang him up and I said, Where are you, Dad? He said, oh, I'm in Lille. And I was like, you know, for a bloke that spent most of his life in South London, I was like, Well, Lille, that's a bit a bit fancy, isn't it? I was like, what, what are you gonna do in Lille? Are you gonna go and have a jambon or a fucking croissant? You know, or that amazing thing you have in France. You know when you have red wine in France, where you go, I'm not in France, it does taste better than at home. And it's just because you're in France. It's the shittiest red wine you ever had, but because it comes out of a fucking carafe, you're like, oh, this is, this is good gear, isn't it? This is good gear. <laughs> but anyway, I rang him up. I said, what are you doing in Lille? And he said, well, you know, I just wanted to come here on the Eurostar, and uh, I'm going to come back now. I went, what do you mean come back? He goes, well, I'm going to go to the other side of the platform and wait for the Eurostar back. <laughs> he, he went to France. <laughs> Just for the Eurostar. And I know a lot of people go, well, you know, Eurostar is pretty cool. But he didn't, he didn't even leave the station. He didn't even leave the station. His only experience of French cuisine, right, was a, a moody croissant from a, a vending machine on the platform. He also, right, his weird travel stuff, he, um, he once got, when, when the London Olympics was on, right, 2012 London Olympics. So he lives in South London, but it's not that far. to get, And it's a pain in the ass journey from southwest to east. But... It's the only time in his life that he's going to be able to go to the Olympics. Did he go to the Olympics? Well, he got the train to the Olympics because he's heard that the bullet train from central London to Stratford, he liked the name of it, the bullet train. So again, got the train there, came back. Didn't, like, he, he didn't even go into the Olympic Park. He didn't even, he just come, come back. You know, when uh, I went to Stratford, oh, what did you do, Dad? Did you go, did you go to the velodrome? Did you try and get tickets for dressage? No, no, I just uh, sat on the train and I came back. Yeah, it's a very slick operation, that bullet train. And then I think maybe, like, the best one ever was... Um, was Because I lived with him for a while. And he was one, you know, they get to that age where they get up so fucking early. Do you know what I mean? And uh, one day, 
he and he had a weird thing with timekeeping anyway. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but he had this phrase about um, about being punctual. He uh, I always have to get it right because it's such a weird phrase. He said, um, "Early is on time, punctual is late." So just give you a second just to breathe that in there. Early is on time, right? So being early is actually being on time, and being on time, punctual is late. You wonder why I need fucking therapy. Anyway, so he, uh, I got up, I was living with him, and he, and he wasn't up, and that was very rare, because he was normally up by like 5 a.m., smoking old Hoburn, you know what I mean? Drinking the strongest Dow Egbert's coffee known to man with the radio on. And, and he came downstairs, kind of looking a bit disheveled, and I said to him, uh, I said, well, what's going on with you, Dad? What, what did you do last night? He said, oh, I drove around the M25. And it, like, I just went, oh, right, okay. And I thought like, he'd done it, you know, he'd done a mission to help a mate, you know, like... Your old man does like drops off a fucking cupboard somewhere or something, you know, for that generation of people that don't. Not like us, where it's all disposable. We just go and buy another one, right? They're at, they'll actually do like a forty minute drive just to pick up like a shoe rack. <laughs> and and I looked at him, and I just knew it was going to be weird. I was like, "What do you mean round the M twenty five? Where? Yeah, round it. I started off uh, started off at Junction Nine for the A three. I just went all the way around it over Dartford Tunnel, round uh, up through Essex, North London, stopped at South Mims." And came around the other way. And I was like, wow. He said, well, yeah, I've just always wanted to do it. And I said, well, I said, well, what was it like, Dad? He said, well, you know, it's like a, pretty much like a normal motorway, but you end up back in the same place. <music> Tales of uh, Jeff Norcott's dad there to bring us to the end of the show. Maybe that whole M25 thing was like a, is that like a metaphor, guys? Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe life is circular. Uh, we've got three power of uh, patrons here. Joe White, Michael Hinchcliffe and Chris Kimpton. That is a power indie band, isn't it? A little three piece there. And it probably a bit pretty boys there. They just sound good looking, don't they? Joe White, Michael Hinchcliffe and Chris Kimpton. I bet Chris Kimpton be the one with the girly hair in the boy band. You know the one that all the girls like at the beginning and then as they become 28. You know like we take that, all the girls like, like Mark to begin with, didn't they? because he looked pretty, and there was something about teenage girls that they didn't want, like, uh, intimidating masculinity. And then then it was Robbie, because he had a glint in his eye, and that was when, they, you know, they were going on girls' holidays and stuff, and maybe they had a bit of liberty in their life. But by the end of it all, they basically, they all want a Gary Barlow, don't they? They want a bloke who's financially secure and looks like he could wire a plug. <laughs> so, sorry, Chris Kimpton. At the end of the day, it's going to be Michael Hinchcliffe who's going to settle well, and you'll probably be going to the Priory. Um, you just do some uh, reviews because as ever if you leave me a review of my podcast um, I've got because of my new laptop nothing is where it's supposed to be why do they just move stuff oh let's do a fucking update of iTunes here let's take everything that anybody ever knew and make it confusing I don't know where I don't know where reviews are I'm going to have to read them off the phone now I sound like my old man don't I Oh, I don't know where the stuff's gone. I'm going <laughs> to have to read it in a really technologically uninvolved way. I'm going to have to go into my own phone, scroll down, and let's see what we've got here. Uh, this is Ian from Croydon. Uh, Free Lions. Jeff, loved the David Baddiel pod. Not too much smoke up the arse. Maybe a slim panatella. <laughs> Very disappointed as a true South London boy. You didn't end the pod with a Free Lions duet. All the best, Ian. I mean, look, Ian, I would have loved to have done that, but... Whatever I, you know, rapport I tried to build up with David Bedell. Can you imagine if I'd gone, uh, just David, before you go here, uh, I just thought it'd be a kind of him just sitting in his house with his headphones on, me sitting there, 
Everyone seems to know the score. See, I could sing Frank Skinner's weird little bit. Um, and this was already read out the uh, review from Jordan, which is what my dad definitely thinks. Fiftieth uh, show was classmate. This is from Gus Boy Fifty One. I've listened to them all, and they never disappoint. Congratulations on the fiftieth! What a great guest in David Badil. Yeah, David Badil has gone down very well here. Uh, from Harvey Frog Boy, very good, as he says. Uh, keeping me sane. I discovered this podcast at the beginning of lockdown, and it has helped. It has helped me keep keep me sane. I'm a five pound patron, and will increase to ten pound. Use money same saved from cancelling various mainstream media. Uh, well, listen, man, there's a lot of people are saying that. That's a worry, isn't it? amount of people are just going, you know what? I'm sick of... I've said this actually this week. Sorry, I shouldn't be getting into this right at the end, but I'm saying this to a lot of people uh, in television and at the BBC, is that the lack of political representation in comedy is an issue, isn't it? Because people are going, well, I don't want to hear... You know, I understand that the, the satirical fire has to go from who to who's in power, but I don't, really, I don't think every single bit of it has to go there, you know. We could always just do with a little bit back the other way. And, you know, maybe, is this, is this, am I actually making a point here? Or is this just me yet again coming around to the idea that I should have my own show? 